Welcome to the Glassy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. It's no secret that wives' skincare routines these days tend to be more involved than those of their husbands. We learned from today's guest, Sabrina Elba, that this is also true for celebrities. She co-founded skincare brand Sable Labs with her husband, actor Idris Elba, after noticing that her skincare routine was dramatically more elaborate than his. The brand is marketed as gender neutral and something that couples can share. On this week's episode, she talked all about the brand and beauty. She shared the gaps she saw in the market for products that were good for melanated skin and went over the ingredients in detail, including how her mom inspired and helped source them. A quick update from me, this is my last episode as host of the Glossy Beauty Podcast. My colleagues Sarah Sprookfeiner and Emma Sandler will be taking over starting next week. They've got a great list of guests lined up, so be sure to keep tuning in. Here's the interview with Sabrina. Sabrina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I am so, so happy to be here. I've actually been a fan of the podcast, so thank you for the honor, really. (laughs) And where are you joining us from today? It looks like you're in an office setting. I am. I am at the Sable Labs slash IE7 slash all the other businesses that Idris has thought up <laughs> over the year office in Camden, London. So today we're talking all about your brand Sable Labs, which you co-founded with your husband Idris. Before we get into that, did you want to share some information on your background and your relationship to beauty growing up? Oh my gosh. Well, don't we all have this like super deep relationship to beauty story (laughs) that I'm like actually rediscovering as uh, I'm coming through, you know, this year with the brand because you find out so much is so habitual. So if I were like, you know, to start early on, I mean, I'm in my thirties, I'm of that generation where Clearasil and Neutrogena and like proactive rule the adverts. I grew up in Vancouver, Canada and Canadian, which is why I'm always smiling And I was the only black girl in my high school. Like, that sounds so weird to say. But I had a lot of, like, you know, family in town and things like that. But I hadn't really discovered melanin or what that meant to have more melanin until I was, like, in my late teens to early 20s. So my relationship with beauty really early on felt a lot like an investment on my part into brands that weren't investing in me. So all of those products I just listed, like those Neutrogena's and those, you know, big brands that were dealing or helping me deal with a lot of my teenage acne, were really stripping my skin. And I was using so many acids and so many actives to try and kind of calm this hormonal influx of like acne that seriously started to look like constellations on my face is because I suffered from hyperpigmentation. I found that actually I was making it worse because I was using further aggressors and, you know, stimulating more inflammation by drying out my skin and totally having this complete misunderstanding about how to care for melanated skin. But it wasn't only because I wasn't surrounded by people who look like me. It was also because the beauty industry didn't cater to people that look like me. If I wanted products for melanated skin, like, let's be honest, I had to go into Walmart or Target, you know, this is North American speaking, and go into like one of the last strongholds of segregation, which is like the black beauty aisle, and find a product on a shelf that didn't look like the products that were in the bathrooms of my friends. And I was envious about that. I wanted the cool stuff on the adverts, which was like, you know, those Neutrogena pads and all the other fun stuff. And my relationship with beauty in a way became sort of exhaustive. It felt like I was giving, 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 and not really receiving. 
On the other side, my mom, I'm of East African heritage, I'm Somali, and Somali people have a really strong sense of ancestral traditions when it comes to beauty. There are certain ingredients that are like passed down through generations. One of those ingredients is like qasl, which kind of sounds funny to say, but if you know the brand, you've heard of the ingredient. And I used to watch her make these amazing DIY masks at home with like dried like goat's milk, I'm not kidding, <laughs> like turmeric and all this stuff and walk around the house all day with these beauty masks on. And I was like, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't shop at Sephora. So I was like totally rebelling. I was like, and she, and she was saying to me, rightfully so, well, you're burning your face off with all the stuff you're using and you're using way too much. But I resisted that. And I wanted to fit into this like cool market around beauty, particularly with these big beauty conglomerate stores that didn't necessarily have products at that time that gave me what I needed. So my my beauty history growing up and my relationship with beauty was one that felt a bit negative, unfortunately. It was never like I found where I could fit in quite easily or I knew there was like this cult product for me. It was one that took me a long time and a long period of discovery. And tell us about your career path, because at one point you actually were interested in going to law school, right? I've heard you say that on other interviews. So what kind of brought you to this entrepreneurship journey? Oh my God, I feel like I've lived like nine lives (laughs) by now, but I had no idea I was into entrepreneurship. Like I, if someone had told me I was going to start a business, or I mean, if someone had told me I'd get married to an actor, I probably wouldn't believe them. I was on a super straight um, immigrant child path, like going to university. It was doctor or lawyer. And I was a philosophy major prepping for my LSAT, took my LSAT. And at the cusp of like wanting to move to Toronto, go to law school there, I met this, you know, really handsome bloke <laughs> by the name of Idris. And I thought, I'm just going to like take maybe like kind of a gap year. I'm going to go to London and check it out and, you know, hang out with this British boy for a little while. And I realized very quickly when I moved to London and started working um, in PR in an office that I didn't want to work in an office. And part of that was because he was traveling around at the time of his life, you know, sending me pictures and he could do all of that because his work allowed for him to travel. And I thought, oh, I want to be in that position. I want to be sort of my own boss and, you know, set my own schedule. And I was envious of that. And I started looking into business and how he ran his businesses. And at the time, you know, he's mainly focusing on his music studio and his production company. Um, and he started a small champagne brand and sort of getting this master class into entrepreneurship because like, I mean, the man is full of ideas. <laughs> and if you know anything about him, you know, he's not just an actor. He's like an actor, producer, writer, director, you know, like the list goes on and on and on. And it wasn't really until COVID hit and we all have COVID babies, right? And ours is definitely the brand that I thought, I, I want to ex- I want to explore what that looks like for me. And, you know, one of the things that I'm most passionate about is skincare. And one of the things that we were becoming so passionate about at the time was wellness, because let's face it, like we were all doing this introspective journey of how did I get COVID? Where's my wellness journey at? Doing yoga online, right? So I started quickly trying to figure out, well, what does wellness look like for me? Yeah, I remember during the pandemic, the news came out that he was one of the first celebrities to get COVID. Tell us that story. So did you, you both got it, right? Yeah. You know what? It's so funny because there's this sort of Instagram or or internet meme that goes around saying that like, you know, I was the wife that stood by him when he had COVID. I see it come up on like Twitter tons, but 
I think I gave him COVID. I was at Milan Fashion Week when it was pretty much, you know, like everyone had COVID without knowing it. And then he went and did this We Day event um, the day I got home. And it was this, like, I think there was like tens of thousands of kids, teenagers. And he was on stage with Justin Trudeau's wife, the Canadian prime minister, or sorry, I I should say ex-wife now. Um, And it came out in the news that she was positive. So he, at that point, had been in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So this is about a week after the event. And the film crew went, okay, well, we need to test everyone. Idris, you're just photographing this person. We need to test you as well. But I'm worried that like I came from Milan, gave it to him. He did the event, gave it to our prime minister's wife. Like how, you know, (laughs) defeating as a Canadian. (laughs) I've done that. I don't know if that's true. But anyways, I'm on my way to Santa Fe, New Mexico. He's like, babe, I think I have COVID. Um, You know, Sophie Trudeau has COVID and has tested positive. Don't come. I'm like, I'm like two hours away. I'm on my flight. I'm not going to turn around now. If you have it, I have it. So day I got there, we're like, there's no way you have it. There's no way you have it. He was totally fine, like asymptomatic. And then the test came back the next day. And then I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, I've got to get tested as well. And then it turns out that I was also positive. I actually sent like so many DMs to everyone I'd seen along the way. And a lot of people messaged me on Instagram saying, oh my God, like I was on your flight or, oh my God, I saw you. And I was like, oh my God, get tested. Like, because the news went everywhere. I think there were so little notable people at the time who had gotten COVID. So it was still such a mystery. And so there's so much fear around it that it became this kind of big media buzz. I think it was like, who was it first? I can't even remember. Um, But we were one of the very first on the news. Yeah, I remember that. That was kind of like a sign to everyone, like, this is real, right? Um, (laughs) And then, so tell me about the wellness aspect of it all. Like, were you into wellness at all before 2020? And what about Idris? No, there was no wellness going on in our household. I'll be super honest. To me, wellness was, you know, like watching other people go to the gym (laughs) like reading a book about how to get more fit. I had a very poor diet um, and still sometimes do. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, my family was like, you have COVID, you need to smarten up. Like you've never been like a health person. And I was like, okay, this is my moment. I am changing. I'm going to go on the internet and discover myself. And Idris started to do the same. And we're stuck in Santa Fe, New Mexico at this point, by the way. So we had to stay there. I think we had to lock down 36 days. And we kept going to like the drive-through tests. You remember those? And doing this like drive-by testing to see when we would finally be cleared to fly home. So we had a ton of time to kind of figure out what wellness was for us. I was baking every day on like Instagram. But we kind of realized really quickly that, well, at least for myself, I didn't really fit into the wellness space that I was finding online, like it felt very goop centric in the way that it's, it served like, you know, a certain type of woman or, you know, who dressed a particular way or who, who looked a certain way. And I didn't really find a place for me to fit in, but where me and Idris felt that we both could relate, uh, about our wellness together was around community because our mental health was directly being impacted by the fact that we couldn't see our family and friends. And then it was like this light bulb went off in our heads. Why is community not this part of wellness? Why don't people talk about that? Like I was trying to call my mom every day and my best friends to check if they were okay. So we started this Instagram called Together Tuesdays. Very embarrassing. It was an Instagram live. And we would just interview like duos that we thought were great. And that was actually when we discovered that consistently among everyone that we interviewed, 
people would always say, if you want to have a strong relationship, you need to have a strong sense of self. And community became so intertwined to everything that we did when we talked about wellness. And then that led to the podcast, right? When did you guys launch the podcast? Yeah, so that was, I want to say 2021 was when it launched. Um, and we're still trying to, to keep it going. We don't want it to end. We love the podcast because for us, as newly was, it was such a learning curve. Like to hear people like Ben and Jerry's and like Kim Kardashian and Kris Jenner just talk about relationships, like these amazing duos. Um, it, it was so inspiring. And, you know, it's something that we want to carry on forever, but it quickly changed from this sort of, sense of just community in that arena to what would selfless self-care look like. And I'm so thankful that we did it because it shaped so much of our ethos about wellness and how we approach, you know, business. And like, I mean, even the Ben and Jerry's conversation, I think I learned so much about business in that one episode. It just totally shifted our mindsets. And if you haven't heard it, it's called Couple Dumb to everyone listening, but it was such a joy ride for us. So you can probably hear that joy <laughs> through the episodes. And it's focused on couples, both romantically and business couples, right? That's the concept is kind of all kinds of couples. Yeah, we probably failed by calling it coupledom because a lot of people thought it meant that it was romantic couples only. But actually, it was for familial, business partnerships, best friends, brothers and sisters, you know, yeah, which falls into familial. But anyone, any two people that were just getting through life together and totally killing it. And then you look at them and you go, how did you guys do this? And how did you make it work? Because, you know, it's one of the first things we learned at school, right? Like this buddy system, like hold each other's hand to get through. And then at some point in our lives, we kind of forget that we counted on people so much and how important community is to us. And we just wanted to bring a sense of that back and community in terms of how we impact the planet as well, right? Like we're supposed to be this amazing ecosystem where we treat each other with kindness. We treat the planet with kindness. And I think that gets disrupted in our daily and we forget about that. So it was like our little mission to the world to kind of bring that sense or bring that story back into, you know, everyday conversation. Yeah. And you and Idris are both married and a business couple. So tell me about how that relationship works. How do you balance the business and the personal? Yeah, it's not always easy. I'll be completely honest. There are times when I'm like, why am I married to this person? But I love him to bits. And we've developed, and I think part of it, if I'm honest, was that couple of journeys, some really, really good sort of boundaries and barriers. And, you know, for instance, when you're working together, you have to go through work avenues. What do you want to get information from each other? Me trying to ask me about an email at midnight in bed is not going to be the most productive thing for our relationship, even though I want that answer so I can be productive at work. You know, I've got to go through his PA or go and find scheduled time so that we can have a work meeting. It's different from trying to organize a date in our romantic life. So learning to treat work like work and love like love was a really big learning curve for me. But I think now that we have done that, I mean, I don't see life any other way. He is really like the best thing ever. So I love working with him. And I sound so corny saying that, but it's true. <laughs> and who first came up with the idea to start the skincare brand? I mean, it depends on who you ask. I'll put it like that. Because we probably take both take a bit of ownership over it. But Idris was using all of my stuff, <laughs> especially during COVID, which I think was like you know, a catalyst for a lot of the conversations we had. Um, the selfless self-care 
aspect was a huge catalyst for it. But I think it really was that history. And when I pointed out to him, like, you know, he'd ask these questions, why do you have nine things? Or why do you spend so much on these things? And I'd answer, well, there's nothing out there for me. There's nothing that fights hyperpigmentation that's post-inflammatory in the way that I need it to for my skin and with my acne-prone skin. And there's nothing that is in a mastige sort of market price. It's either really bargainile, and then I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know if it has enough actives, like, you know, and how and how well these ingredients are sourced. Or it's super expensive, and it's like the niche line of a product brand, um, you know, and products that I lo- still love and was was using, but I just don't know if we should have to pay that much. You know, and when I say we, I talk about people with melanated skin or melanin rich skin. And and that was the first time that I went, there's nothing that's melanin inclusive. And people still, you know, ask us like, what does that mean when you're saying melanin inclusive skincare? Because what we didn't want to do is create a brand and then say it was only for black skin. Because the truth is that formulations and ingredients that benefit melanated skin actually benefit all skin types. And every skin type has melanin. So skin on a cellular function, you know, or a cell will, you know, one cell divides into two. That's basic science. We all have skin. Some skin has more needs than others, but skins that has more needs like melanated skin. And I'm talking about, you know, need more moisture or ingredients that break down stagnant melanin. Those are ingredients that benefit everyone. So we wanted our brand to be melanin inclusive and not exclusive. And I think it's still a learning curve for people when they hear us say it, but we're finding that we're building this community that just gets it. And I was one of those shoppers and I wanted to buy into a brand that understood that, you know, I didn't need to be different because my skin was different. I just needed a higher quality of product. So how different were your skincare routines before founding the brand? So different. So I was like the over-consumer, the chemist at The Ordinary, mixing my actives, thinking I knew what I was doing, and I just used Vaseline. He probably doesn't want anyone to know that, but he was like, I'll use your stuff and I'll put your La Mer cream on my feet. And I was like, no, don't, don't do that. It's so expensive. Um, but I kind of li- love that because I thought I knew everything. And I thought that if I just bought every single active and every buzzword that I would be doing this service for myself. But actually, you know, I realized that it's all about the cocktail of actives that you put together for yourself and what you're trying to fight. And there's so much more education, understanding that needs to come around skincare than just buying into a marketing ad. Um, and that journey was super fun for me. And I think it was super fun for Idris, especially when it came, came to the genderless conversation, because rightfully so, he felt products were super dumbed down for him. It was invigorating and peppermint and, and all these, you know, male words. Um, but it didn't say anything about how potentially clean the products were, uh, you know, what it was fighting exactly, and all of his questions and, and you know, sort of breaking down what he thought was wrong with the industry for men was so helpful when we were formulating our products because it allowed us to go, wait, yes, we don't need nine things. You know, he just wants to use three things. You're right. We only need three, three things. That makes sense. Okay. So we don't need to charge this much. We're not going to make it purple. Like <laughs> It's just kind of all fed into this same conversation that we're having. So I think our journeys are a huge part of where the brand is now. And so is this intended to be used by couples and shared? I would love, like my ideal scenario is picturing, you know, someone's bought it and brought it home and they get to share it with whoever they're in the house with. I think it's better for the planet to not buy 
too much. Like, you know, we, you'll never find in the brand that we have single ingredient formulations. Everything's sort of blended together to work together. Everything's maximum impact on the bottles and in the formulations while being minimum impact on the planet. Like, you know, the whole ethos of the brand is to use less. And if that means you get to share with someone and use less, that's even better. And what was the process like building the team for the brand? Um, because obviously everyone always talks about celebrity brands. Like if someone is an actor, they don't focus on skincare, but obviously there's a whole team behind them where they're not actually like mixing the formulas themselves, right? So how did you like select the experts to kind of work with you on the brand and uh, build up that team? Well, it's funny that you say that because when we started this brand, it was before this sort of renaissance of celebrity brands, as you may call it, right? Like they, it was literally one after the other every week, it felt like. But we created this brand because we felt there was a space in the market for a brand that catered to melanated skin and was melanin inclusive without excluding anyone else that was priced at the price that we had it at and felt luxury. So then when we got lumped into this overly saturated group of celebrity skincare, it was really frustrating. It was like, hold on a second. We never wanted these brands to be, or this brand to be about us. It was about the formulations and the responsibility we felt to create these formulations. Um, and actually, we never white labeled anything. We don't have investors. We're fully family run. I mean, the ideations come just from us. And I went and approached one of my best friends who was working at Tom Ford. And she was doing sales and education over at Tom Ford for North America. She's blonde haired, blue eyed. And my theory was that I was like, Jess, like, I know, you know, you're doing Tom Ford skin and all this stuff. Come over and help me. And if these products work for you, your rosacea, your sunspots and all the concerns you have, just as well as they work for mine, I think we're going to create something amazing. And I don't know how we did it, but we convinced her <laughs> and she left and she came over to Sable Labs. And then we recruited and bottle picked or, or cherry picked um, you know, some amazing people along the way. And you're right. It takes a village. It takes a team. But we're a very small team of five people. And, you know, between the five of us, we go to the chemist with our formulations. We decide every ingredient that's in there and decide everything that we take out because we wanted quality ingredients that didn't have all the nasties that you see sometimes in the luxury world when you add fragrance and all of these. You know, I mean, learning what binding ingredients were and, and all the different alcohols and stuff, that was an education that we wanted to take on so that we could further understand the formulations. So that's part of the reason I tell people, look, call it a celebrity skincare brand if you want, but the passion and heart that's been put into this brand, that only feels like it's discrediting it. And tell us about the ingredient selection process. You talked a little bit about ingredients earlier. Let's hear more details about how you selected the ingredients. So for us, it was about fighting and looking at the source problem of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, but also hyperpigmentation that you find like, you know, through sun, sun damage and melasma. And we thought, okay, if we're going to fight hyperpigmentation, I want to do this in a way that feels more holistic. Because my problem was I was going to brands finding a solution after the fact, like a dark spot cream, for instance. So you've got a dark spot, here it is, now you can get rid of it. So it was kind of in that discovery of that ethos. If we're going to fight hyperpigmentation from its source, what do we need to do? So we realized we need to fight inflammation. And we also need to add tyrosinase inhibitors that keep excess melanin from growing, but also break up stagnant melanin in the skin. So that was what led the ingredient journey. So we knew we wanted it to be packed with antioxidants. And where better to get amazing antioxidants than on the African continent? Because a lot of the ingredients that we found, like baobab, rooibos, that are 
black seed that are amazing antioxidants felt a little bit appropriated. So the first thing we wanted to do was take ownership of ancestral practices and traditions and things that I watched my mom do and then combine them with like really great contemporary science like AHAs and oat aminos and kaolin and, you know, niacinamide and tranexamic acid that break down and inhibit tyrosin or tyrosine inhibitor. I can never say that word. Tyrosinase inhibitors, apologies. Um, and that was how the ingredient story happened. It was highlighting beautiful African ingredients. We wanted to resurrect the idea of a beauty, but also combining it with contemporary science that helped inhibit and prevent the growth of excess melanin. And what was the sourcing process like? You've talked a lot in interviews about the sourcing issues with Shea. Did you want to just share more about that process and how you source the ingredients? Yeah, I mean, that was, it was actually a bit of an emotional journey because we found some really horrifying things. Like we found that, you know, Shea in the beauty industry, it's a really abusive industry. Like if you think Shea's a really basic skincare component, it's almost, I, you'll, you turn anything around in your bathroom counter, it probably has Shea in it. The amount of Shea that's being farmed for beauty industry, it's like, it's a massive industry. And the women that are doing it aren't being paid fairly. Some of them are dying which is crazy from burns, from abusive conditions. And that was just like inexcusable to us to be able to say that you we bought something from a store, to not know where the ingredients come from and to find out that people were dying, particularly people that look like us sourcing the ingredients. So we knew, and a part of the work that we did, which kind of became so complimentary before we knew that it would, was that we work with smallholder farmers. So we knew that we wanted to protect the people that were sourcing our ingredients. The only way to do that, unfortunately, was to go and source the ingredients ourselves because there is no infrastructure set up to be able to buy from smallholder farmers or co-ops in a way that we wanted to do. So, for instance, my mom went to Somalia, helped this farmer fill out this DHL form and safety sheets for this vessel so we could send it to our lab so they could, you know, use radiation, whatever, to get it clean and ready to use in the skincare. Like, I mean, we had to go through the steps from A to Z to get them to our chemists so that we knew and we could see and have the transparency to feel confident enough to say that we understood where ingredients were coming from, for one, but also knew that it was fair trade in that sense. And you don't hear that word in skincare. You hear it in like, you know, coffee and food and wherever, but we kind of take for granted where skincare comes from. And that became a huge source of passion for us and something that really drove us to get the brand to where it is now. And the accreditation that we received, you know, something like Positive Luxury in the UK, which actually is a very high standard VSG, um, came from that sourcing story. And we found that it's actually quite unique. What we want to do now is convince other brands to take the same trajectory that we have. And if we can convince the big conglomerates to do it, you know, the L'Oreal's and the Lauders and the P&G's, Unilever, I think that we can create, you know, a really big shift in the beauty industry. And we put all our energy into it. So, you know, wish us luck, but <laughs> it's a tough one to crack for sure. And then what about sustainability? You're also very into sustainable packaging. Did you want to talk about the packaging developing process? You know, initially when we started the brand, I thought, because, you know, I'd never done this before. I thought we can get any kind of packaging that's going to look like this. And yeah, it's going to all the bells and whistles. And we realized because we wanted to go the 100% PCR journey, because, you know, there's so much plastic in this world. Let's not create new plastic. Let's reuse what's actually been made and get used plastic out into something that's functional that can be reused then again. We knew we wanted to do 100% PCR, but what we didn't realize that there aren't that many options. And also the prices for using better packaging for this planet 
it's ridiculous. Like you spend so much trying to get this 100% PCR packaging. So it was a bit of a disappointment, maybe I'll say. Unless you, obviously, because we were a family brand, we didn't have massive investment at the start. So unless you had the money to kind of tool and, and do it on your own, you're going to kind of be stuck with basic shapes. But actually, I found that our designer did a really good job of turning those basic shapes into something that we feel looks quite beautiful, that looks genderless, that can sit on anyone's bathroom counter and hold its own. So I'm super, super proud of where we are with the packaging now. But I will say, if it was up to me, they might have been like, I don't know, pink or something. <laughs> and then talk about the first products you launched with. Did you want to just share what you decided to hit the market with? Yeah, so I, I knew we wanted to launch with a cleanser, toner, moisturizer. It was like this three-step program um, that really broke down and defended against excess melanin and used amazing African ingredients to showcase the efficacy of them. So it was it was always meant to be this simple, effective program. I don't ever want to be a brand that's trying to sell you a hundred different things because you don't need them. So our formulations really are filled and packed with actives, but are still good enough for sensitive skin. And we want anyone that buys into the core collection to feel that that is all you need. We have a micellar water as well for people who want to double cleanse. We also have a Russell exfoliating mask for people who need the once a week, you know, beauty glow, extra treatment, and a bit more exfoliation. There are some products I still obviously want to put out like a sunscreen, but it's taken us so long because it is so hard to make a sunscreen that looks great on melanated skin, that is, you know, potentially mineral, that doesn't have all of the nasties in it. So that's, you know, that might take us a little bit longer, maybe a lip product. Um, but I, I never want to be a brand that has, you know, an excessive amount of, of products. I think, you know, that's just a marketing ploy. Are you working on a mineral sunscreen right now? We are. We have been working on it forever because sun protection is a massive, massive step in, you know, fighting hyperpigmentation. So It'll come out hopefully eventually, but we have another product launching um, first that's sort of like the champion against hyperpigmentation. And I can't quite say what it is, but I'm really, really excited about it. All right, TBD. Where do you fall in the whole <laughs> mineral versus chemical sunscreen conversation? At the end of the day, the sun is worse, but I would love to be on the mineral side. It is really hard to find mineral sunscreen that doesn't leave this sort of gray cast or purple cast on my skin. I have found some, you know, and I love them, but it, it's not something that's readily available on, on, on mass available for everyone. So that's something that we're trying to crack. And then what about retail partners? Um, I see the brand is in Space NK. How do you select retail partners and where do you like to shop for beauty? So because we're based in the UK, we definitely wanted to start retail in the UK. We've launched UK, US only, actually. So the US is on our, you know, our bucket list of retailers, but we're such a small brand. I think people forget that, you know, we're a family owned brand and Space and K felt like that family run beauty store. It's on all the high streets in London. So you live in any neighborhood, you could probably find a Space and K. And I loved that. I loved that you didn't have to go to this big fancy department store or a big chain. You know, it's, it felt like your friendly neighborhood beauty store. And the staff in there were so knowledgeable. So we knew that they would be like our first retail partner. And it was on my wish list from, I cannot tell you, like forever. So the fact that we got in there, I think we all like, were jumping up and down in the office chairs, <laughs> being super excited because we really are involved in the brand from start to finish. Like I think people think that we're 
you know, we've just given it off to, to our peers and our friends to kind of take care of. But these wins are our wins. And we love seeing people walk into a space in K now and buy my products. Like it was one of the first beauty stores that I went into when I moved to the UK. And I it just, it like fills me with pride. And then what about building a community and discussing the brand with your audience? Do you post a lot about it like on your personal socials? Does Idris or do you, how do you balance that kind of on social media? I feel that's still a learning process for me because I don't, like I said earlier, want to become the face of the brand, but obviously there's a benefit to having a big following and trying to use our following to, you know, further educate and, and, and make people aware of the fact that we have a brand. So it is this balance that we're trying to still figure out. I want the brand to speak for itself and the formulation to speak for itself. And I prefer when we can repost people's videos of them using the product and for that to be the feature, because it is, like you said, it's about community and it's about how we build that community. Where I love to get involved is this sort of, you know, the grassroots activations, doing a panel, speaking at beauty cons, something like that to make people more aware of what we're doing. But I think it would be really easy to just do a bunch of really glamorous photo shoots and, you know, pose with the product and that'd be one end. But does that actually build the type of community that we're looking for for the brand? And I think, you know, I love our supporters so much and they've actually been there without us even posting from day one. But I think there is something to be said about the brand sort of living out its life through its Instagram. Is Instagram the top social platform? Yeah, because we're all millennials and we're still trying to figure out TikTok, for sure. <laughs> but um, TikTok is definitely something that we're expanding and growing into. And it's funny because we hear from every retailer that if a product isn't popular on TikTok, it's not going to be popular in store. So, you know, that says something about the direction that the world is moving in. I think Instagram is still a very powerful tool for small business owners and, and, and young business because you get to, you know, put ads out and understand a market um, in a way that's super user-friendly. And TikTok, I think it's okay that it's still a learning curve. Some brands have definitely mastered it. And I actually like, for instance, I love Lady Gaga's TikTok. And I think she does a really good job of showcasing house labs on there. And you and Idris are co-founders. Do you take on different roles with the brand or do you have similar responsibilities? It definitely comes off a bit different because he's so good at being this creative mind and creative heart of the brand and asking hundred questions and disrupting our whole meeting, you know, which we love because he'll think of things so outside the box. I think that's partly to do with the fact that it's a male opinion in the, in the beauty space, which we don't get to hear enough of. So it does shake things up a bit naturally, but also because he is just this creative guy. And I tend to do a lot more of the logistics and, you know, and, and the planning and the organizing and how we actually make feasible the things and ideas that he's thought of. Um, but I have an amazing COO uh, as well, who I probably wouldn't get through a day without her. And, you know, I just, it's become so much about our team at Save a Labs. And I, I love our team so much. I wouldn't change them for the world. And how much is he helping get men into skincare? Are you seeing a lot of customers that had kind of the same transformation he did where it's men that maybe weren't really doing anything with their skin? What are What are you seeing with that? Oh my gosh, are we? It's so funny. When we started, people told us, don't try to educate men. Men are, they, they don't get it. And when Idris speaks about skincare, men do get it. I think part of it has to do with how simple we've made the routine. It doesn't feel like all these fancy bells and whistles that they need to 
educate themselves on. It feels like, look, use this in the shower, then spray this on your face <laughs> and then put some moisturizer on. And I think it also has to do with how multifunctional the products are. The fact that you can use the toner as an aftershave, like for men, they go, oh my gosh, you see their eyes light up. And I love that. It's like, Men are amazing customers. They're actually very loyal and find that they'll stick to a consistent routine. Whereas women are a bit, you know, like myself, I like to jump around and try new things. And I found that consistency is so important. And it's one of the reasons that we see men with such great skin. The second that I started being more consistent and just using our brand, it made massive strides in my skincare because I realized I wasn't trying to use this new active or that new thing and disrupting my skin barrier all the time. Um, so I, I think I've learned so much from the male customer and I think we're still learning so much about that market. And, and now we've just sort of turned a blind eye to people who tell us not to sell to men because I think it's not true. And I think African-American men in particular are so engaged and so excited when it comes to the brand that it just, it gives us so much hope. What are they accessing skincare information through? Like, will they go to his social media and look at his routine or what are you seeing with that? Yeah, I mean, we definitely find people coming to the website and we have a great email database and we can kind of see who our customers are, you know, through things like Shopify. But he only has done maybe a couple posts that are slightly, you know, informative for men. And those posts go so hard. Like, I mean, they stretch miles. Men have been still commenting on this post that he did about the toner, like I think six months ago or seven months ago. And I'm like, great, <laughs> you know, and I think when he speaks at panels and when he speaks to editors and, and we do write-ups on the product, it's super helpful. Um, and I think, you know, men do still read a lot of glossy and online when they're looking for something, Google, you know, what should I use? <laughs> but I think a lot of that education also comes from, you know, maybe a woman in their life, uh, a mother, a wife, a sibling um, who will bring the products home and say, hey, you know, Idris uses this, you should try it. <laughs> and that actually works, which I love. But I think, you know, it's a hard conversation for men to have about skincare if they feel like, well, no one's ever marketed to me in a way that feels educating and, you know, and, and complimentary to what my ethos is. Um, so I feel once you kind of have that conversation, start that conversation with men, they're actually quite thankful. So people look to him as a role model, right? Men are looking to him for skincare advice because he is this kind of role model for men. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I say that to him. He probably wouldn't say it about himself, but <laughs> I think there's something about someone who is as sort of maybe typically um, kind of the straight, strong action hero type man to be able to be vulnerable and say, look, I don't know what I'm doing with my skin. I'm on this journey and let's go on it together. And I think that's been really empowering for a lot of people, um, particularly men. I think he is a role model and he's becoming a beauty icon. I tell him that all the time. I'm going to get a vinyl and put it on his mirror and be like, you are a beauty icon. So he just starts believing it. <laughs> so tell us what to expect from the brand going forward. You hinted a little bit about upcoming products. What are we going to see in the pipeline? Do you have any retail partnerships planned? What can we expect? I wish I could say, and now I'm so tempted, but we do, we... I just want, you know, anyone to know that's listening that if we were to put anything out, we have been slaving over that formulation, trying to get it perfect because we care so much. So it might feel a bit slower um, and our MPD might take a bit longer, but we get really excited about new products and they, they're they like babies every time we have one. So we want to give them enough 
care and love and attention. So we have, I think, two more products launching next year. And, you know, and I'm super excited to then get into different categories. And I've probably already said too much. Look what we've done. <laughs> well, we will look forward to seeing what's in store. And Sabrina, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's so nice to see all of the people that you've brought on the podcast. I really enjoyed listening. And yeah, thank you for your part. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.